This time our split sermon will be brought by Reg Nolan. The first and greatest lie, part due. Thank you, Ken. I'm glad you didn't say the first and greatest lie ever told, part two, by Reginald. <laughs> All right. Uh, last time on the first and greatest lie ever told, we identified Satan as the author and father of lies because uh, lies from human beings have only an in, a finite impact in terms of both time and consequence. So that the greatest lie that would ever have to be told would have to be from a non-human source. Turn to John 8, 44. John 8, 44 says, You are of your father the devil, and the lust of your father you will do. He was a murderer from the beginning and abode not in the truth, because there is no truth in him. Whenever he speaks, whenever he speaketh a lie, he speaketh of his own, for he is a liar and the father of it. We identified also... The first lie to human being, as in English, the five little words that have echoed throughout history as the myth of the immortal soul. Found in Genesis 3, 4, thou shalt not sure, ye shall not surely die. Ye shall not surely die. We then demonstrated with numerous arguments from both logic and scripture, since science has no jurisdiction over things incorporeal, that this myth is indeed false and that the soul can die and is therefore not immortal. We began to show that it was the greatest of lies, demeaning the value of the mortal life, undermining our faith, discounting the necessity of a resurrection, responsible for many of the stupid stitions that we have in this world, such as ghosts and, and spirit uh, channeling Ouija boards, humans turning into demons or angels upon death, an ever-burning hole, uh, hell, bounding off to uh, heaven when we die, and eternity of doing nothing but listening to harp music. My father was not particularly fond of harp music. That would have been pure hell for him, to have to listen to harp music for all eternity. We ended with the truth. Therein lies the truth, faith in God. To die knowing that we will be absolutely dead, not still, floating, not still alive, floating around on some eternal plane, um, uh, as an immortal soul, but absolutely dead. And knowing that our only hope for any life after this one comes strictly from God, and it lies strictly in God's infinite grace and love. And now, the continuation. Fortunately for us, our Lord is so loving that he provided another way to redeem his disobedient children. He surrendered to death his only son, slain from the foundation of the world, whose one life and its infinite creative potential is worth trillions upon trillions of human lives. He gave it as a blood sacrifice so that we might not have to suffer the penalty of absolute death for all time. Herein lies the greatest blasphemy of the immortal soul. The concept of an immortal soul nullifies Christ's resurrection. That's the greatest blasphemy of all, and his victory over death. For if he, and we, had an immortal soul that bounded off to heaven as soon as the soldier Longinus had pierced his side, then what would be the purpose of a resurrection? It would have served no purpose. Rather, as the Apostle Paul said in 1 Corinthians 15, verses 12 through 14, I'm just going to refer to this one, if there is no resurrection, then there is no salvation, and our faith is in vain. If Satan had could nullify Christ's resurrection, 
then, it is, then our, with it, our hope and our faith goes down the drain. For his sacrifice is our redemption, and without it, we are eternally lost. Now, not only do we have, is this a lie, but that lie works backwards into our lives as well, creating what I call myths of mystery. The fallout of the myth of the immortal soul is a collection of what I call, as I said, the myths of misery, misery, which torment us not when we are dead, but when we are still alive. The idea of an immortal soul makes death frightening for those of us who are less than perfect, perfect, who isn't, okay, and alluring for those who want to go to heaven sooner than later. Uh, it prompts or consoles terrorist suicide bombers with the promise of 72 virgins awaiting for them in paradise. Ever wonder what kind of prospect that has for the women in that faith? Okay. Makes you might, might not want to be a virgin. Who knows? Okay. Uh, some psychopaths kill in the belief that they are being merciful, putting the victim out of his misery and sending him off to heaven. It allows for the macabre idea of ghosts who's that spawn the television show, The Ghost Whisperer, and, and uh, uh, movies and things of this nature, whose souls have unresolved issues that keep them trapped between heaven and hell in this idea. It also promotes the idea of zombies and vampires and other things of this nature. It enables fraudulent practice like Ouija boards and spirit channeling by psychics. It enables the it, it diminishes the importance of the body, since the soul is the only thing that's important anyway, and encourages us to neglect our nutrition and the health of the body in the process, the health, proper health care. Here's one, though, that you might not have expected. It traps romantic persons in the myth of the soulmate. It traps romantic persons in the myth of the soulmate. The idea of each of us, ha for each of us, there exists exactly one perfect mate. Plato asserted that before birth, we were actually one soul with two backs. But we were split into two separate soul, souls and assigned to different bodies during this lifetime. So we spend our whole lives looking for our other half. That was the Platonic view. This is a recipe of, for misery if there ever were one. There are six, over six billion people on this, million people on this earth, I think it is. Six billion. So that makes finding true love... Six billion to one against in numbers alone. And that's not even counting the small probability of ever meeting that other person in the process that they would ever even meet. Love is not destiny. Love is not destiny. It is choice. It is decision. And a whole lot of work. Don't you agree? It's a whole lot of work. Um, moreover, it is not innate. It is a learned emotion. And some people... Never learn to love. They just never learn to love. We choose to give our love to another and, and uh, then grow that work. We work on it to grow that love. The idea of a soulmate is an easy way out of work, responsibility, and commitment. We weren't meant to be together is the excuse they give. We weren't meant to be together. Uh, or the myth also excuses things like promiscuity, serial monogamy, pedophilia, and homosexuality. The heart wants what the heart wants. I was just looking for my soulmate. It just happened to be in this other body that's not compatible, not legal. It also limits, it also limits the capacity of the human heart to love again. 
For if one loses his or her soulmate to illness, accident, betrayal, then that person, according to this philosophy, can never love again. But we can love more than one person in a lifetime, folks. We can love more than one person. It is our choice to do so. If we make wise choices based upon compatibility, then the relationship will progress in relatively smoothly. But if we make poor choices, then it's going to, based on this love at first sight idea that comes out of the you know, soulmate concept, then we're going to experience considerable turbulence. While it may seem positive at first, this myth of the soulmate is actually a very subtle negative byproduct of the myth of the immortal soul, especially if a couple with the idea of transmigration. Imagine what would happen if you had to, if there was only one person in the entire world that was your soulmate, and then you had to, and that person dies right in front of you, then you have to wait till the next life to find her again. Do you understand the, the difficulty with this? Okay, true life after this one. In truth, I find very little reason for postulating the existence of a soul at all. Soul in the Hebrew, in the Old, Old Testament, simply meant, was, was the word nephesh, which meant living creature. In the Greek, it's the word pneuma, which um, again, when it's referring, translated as any other being, it refers to a living creature for animals. Uh, it does not refer to any non-corporeal entity at all, but to our physical mortal bodies. At most, it is our life force that which distinguishes a living being from a corpse. We are merely a mass of flesh and blood in the image, but not yet the substance. And that substance is the most powerful substance in the universe. It is spirit. It, we are in the image, but not in the substance of our creator, who endowed us with the capacity for thought, for emotion, for creativity, after his kind, as well as the free will to determine how we're going to use that capacity to develop our character during this existence. Thus, I can rest peacefully knowing that all of my dead relatives, my parents and other relatives, are completely dead. They are completely unconscious of all of my blunders. Okay? They, do, they are not aware of anything that I'm doing. Okay? Not that I'm not causing them any pain uh, them looking down on me and seeing all my mistakes along the way. My only hope of seeing them again lies in my faith in a future resurrection from the dead, at which time all human beings will be, key word, reconstructed, reconstructed according to the spirit program that they are producing during this lifetime. It will, they will provide, when they will be provided a true understanding of Jesus' original gospel and a chance to live in the kingdom of God on this earth. At that time, only those who willingly reject his law will be thrown into the lake of fire and incinerated once and for all. Not continuously tormented for all eternity. <coughs> for such a fate is reserved exclusively for the devil and his angels. And even they are cast in the outer darkness, not into some kind of a burning pit. Um, let's see. For burning... The whole process of burning is a physical and chemical process. In order for fire to occur, we must have heat, fuel, and oxygen. Right, Mr. Barton? Heat, fuel, and oxygen. If any one of those three elements are missing, the fire goes out. Folks, there's no oxygen in space. The, the soul, as they proclaim it, is not physical. 
Therefore, it's not fuel. And there's not heat in outer space either. So, there's no burning fire. The fire does not burn forever. It burns up. As soon as any of those are exhausted, the fire goes out. It does not burn forever. Further, since immortal soul advocates claim that the soul is uh, non-physical, it fails to qualify as fuel. Uh, and in my previous uh, part, part one of this, I demonstrated that a non-corporeal body cannot feel pain, cannot experience anything without contact with the sense organs. Now, the plan that I've just outlined for us, the plan that's in uh, God's holy uh, scripture, is a much more, um, much more appropriately reflects the love of God than does the fundamentalist or Catholic view, which has us, you know, creates God as if he were some grand inquisitor punishing everyone for all eternity. And it removes from the kingdom only those who willingly and willfully reject God's law. The, those people would not be happy among us anyway. Moreover, God is not so insecure that he would take revenge on those who disobeyed him for his own good. He just puts them out of his misery. He just utterly destroys them once and forever and does not torment them for all eternity. For that is not the way of love. Rather, our lives are a selection process, determined to choose who will be part of the family of God. Thus, all the fears and the superstitions that we have about death and afterlife and hell and ghosts and soulmates are unfounded because they are based on the false concept of an immortal soul and a tormentor God. But I believe it to be the greatest, that to be the greatest lie ever told, delivered by the greatest liar who ever existed. But more importantly, the myth of the immortal soul belies God's promise of, an incredible, of our incredible human potential, that we shall become children of God, joint heirs of Christ with the entire universe. Turn to Romans 8. Romans 8, verses 14 to 23 is where we're going to go. For as many are led by the Spirit of God, they are the sons of God. Read children, because it includes women as well. For you have not received the spirit of bondage again in the fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption by which we cry, Abba, Father. Abba, by the way, is a more personal or intimate form. It's kind of like daddy. Okay. Uh, the spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are the children of God. Remember that statement. The children, the spirit itself bears witness with our spirit that we are the children of God. And if we are children, then we are heirs, heirs of God and joint heirs with Christ, so that if we suffer with him, we may also be glorified together. For I reckon that the sufferings of this present world are not worthy to be prepared to the common glory to be revealed in us. For the earnest expectation of the creation waits for the manifestation of the sons of God. For the children... For the creation was not willingly subjected to vanity because of him who subjected it on hope that the creation itself should be delivered from the bondage of corruption into the glorious liberty of the children of God. And we know that the whole creation groans and travails and pain together until now. And not only so, but ourselves also. We who have the uh, first fruits of the spirits, even we ourselves, grown within ourselves, awaiting adoption and the redemption of the body. And the redemption of the body. In the strictest sense of the word, none of us survive death. The me that is here now is not the same me who will live with Christ, nor would I want it to be. 
nor would I want it to be. This me, this carnal, fleshly old man, is so corrupt that it sickens me. It sickens this new creature growing inside me, this, this, inside this decaying mass of flesh, in much the same way that an insect that an insect can pass through the larval stage inside a mass of putrefying flesh. But that does not mean that all the work, the choices, the experiences, and the personality, the values, the passions, the emotions that have gone into making me unique are snuffed out at the moment of my death. Not exactly. Not exactly. 1 John uh, 3, 1-2 promises, makes a promise. Behold what manner of love the Father has bestowed upon us, that we should be called the sons of God. Therefore the world knows us not, because it knew him not. Behold, I, we are now, sorry, behold, now are we the sons of God, and it doth not yet appear what we shall be, but we know that when he shall appear, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. We also know from Job 32.8 that there is a spirit in man. Job 32.8, there is a spirit in man. And the inspiration of the Almighty gives him understanding. So, what does that suggest? Suggest to us that we are in a larval stage of development. We are in a larval stage of development. God gave us butterflies. Butterflies are a wonderful creature that, you, that has many lessons in it. God gave us butterflies to help us to understand what is happening to us. But I doubt we could really understand until the 20th century when we got all the recording devices like magnetic tape or compact discs and DVDs and computer discs and flash drives. We are currently in the larval stage of development for the children of God. And just as the monarch butterfly that emerges from the cocoon scarcely resembles the caterpillar that went into the cocoon, scarcely will we resemble the creature that comes out of this creation. Um, as we experience this life with trials and triumphs, joys and sorrows, its ecstasies and its heartaches, its successes and its failures, as we make choices and we fully develop our values, our personalities, our, ta our taste, our emotions, our passion, God's Spirit bears record. That's the verse I had you to remember. God's Spirit bears record. That's a King James way of saying records. That's a King James way of saying records. He records what we are becoming. We record that we are the children of God. Romans 8, 16, if you want the reference we just read. It is as if the Holy Spirit were writing a dynamic personality program on a multi-terabyte flash drive or some kind of crystal or biological uh, process, complete with all the life lessons that make us who we are. E complete even with gender, because there's a whole lot more to being male or female than just plumbing. Okay, a, plan, a program that will later be installed into a new body, a body made of spirit, so that we can become fully and truly the children of God. Turn to Romans 6 now. Romans 6, verses 3 through 11. Do you not know that as many of us as were baptized into Jesus Christ are baptized into his death? Therefore, we are buried with him by baptism into his death. So that as Christ was raised up from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we should walk in newness of life. For if we have been, re been joined together in the likeness of his death, we shall also be in the likeness of his resurrection. 
knowing this, that our old man is crucified with him in order that the body of, that the body of sin might be destroyed and that from now on we should not serve sin. For he who died has been, has been justified from sin. But if, he, but if we died with Christ, we believe that we shall also live with him. Knowing that when Christ was raised from the dead, he dies no more. Death no longer has dominion over him. For in that he died, he died to sin once. But in that he lives, he lives to God. Likewise, count yourself also to be truly dead to sin, but alive to God through Jesus Christ our Lord. So, while neither the physical body nor some fictitious non-corporeal soul will survive death, what does survive is the record of your experiences. My experiences, I'm going to make it personal. My experiences, my personality, my values, my interests, my taste, choice, emotions, passions, etc. The information that comprises the essential me. I just hope that the, uh, the compiler has a good editor to go along with it so that I can go back and blot out a few lines of bad code that occurred along the way. Uh, and maybe that's the purpose of Christ's blood. It's, a, it's the editor. It goes back and blots out the, the lines of bad code. Okay? But even that record is not inherently immortal. It could be destroyed before it is installed in the new spirit body. So when, if I die before Christ returns, then I die in faith, completely dependent upon the promises of my elder brother just to restore my life. I'm dead at that point, and I am dependent upon his promises. And it all depends upon him. It all depends upon him. Ezekiel 11. Seems odd to go back to the Old Testament, doesn't it? But in Ezekiel 11, verses 17 through 20, we see, Therefore say, thus says the Lord God, I will gather, I will even gather you from the people and assemble you out of the countries where you have been scattered. And I will give you the land of Israel, and they shall come hither, and they shall take away all the detestable things and the abomination thereof. And, then, and I will give them one heart. And look at this. I will put a new spirit within you. I will put a new spirit within you. And I will take the stony heart out of the flesh, and I will give them a heart of flesh. And they may walk in my statutes and may keep my ordinance and do them. And they shall be my people and I shall be their God. This whole process of us becoming the children of God through this larval stage and then going into the, uh, that, into the glory of being a spirit body, of having that new program installed, or the program we create here, installed in a spirit body. That whole process is a great mystery to the angelic beings both the loyal angels and the fallen ones, for they were created with a fixed program of servitude. That while we are writing our own dynamic program to be, become a child in the family of God. Turn to Hebrews 2, verses 5 to 11. Verses 2, Hebrews 2, verses 5 to 11. For unto the angels hath he not put into subjection the world to come, whereof we speak. But one in a certain place testified, What is man that thou art mindful of him, or the son of man that thou visitest him? Thou made him a low, little lower than the angels, and crowned him with glory and with honor, and to set him above the works of thy hand. Thou hast put all things in rejection under his feet. For in, in that he put all things under rejection, he left nothing that is not put under him. But now we see not yet 
all things put under him. But we see Jesus, who was made a little lower than the angels for the suffering of death, crowned with glory and honor, that he, by the grace of God, should taste death for every man. And it became him for whom, for whom are all things, that by whom are all things, in bringing many sons to glory. Bringing many sons to glory means he's going to put them into a spirit body to make the captain of their salvation perfect through suffering. For both he that sanctified and them that sanctified are all of one, which, for which cause he is not ashamed to call them brethren. Folks, God wants a family. And our proud papa, our proud papa has been preparing, perhaps a bit nervously, for this soon coming event for over 14 billion years since the creation of the universe. He, as would any good parent, has created, for lack of a better word, let's call them toys, to provide us with amusement, learning opportunities, growth, and other things for his children. However, our toys are all things. Our toys are all things. The entire universe and all the complexity that 14 billion years worth of growth has given it. Let's turn to 1 Corinthians 15. Verses 17 to 55. But some will say, how are the dead raised up? And with what body do they come? Foolish one. What you sow is not made alive unless it dies. And what you sow, do you, not, you do not sow the body that is going to be, but a bare grain, perhaps of wheat or some other, uh, or of some of the rest. And God gives it a body as, he, as it has pleased him. And to each of the seeds its own body. All flesh is not the same flesh, but one kind of flesh of men, another kind of flesh for beasts, another kind of flesh for birds, and another of another fish and another of birds. There are also heavenly bodies and earthly bodies, but the glory of the heavenly is truly different and of a different kind, and, of, of, and that of the earthly different. One of the... One glory of the sun, another glory of the moon, another glory of the stars, for one star differs from another in glory. And also the resurrection of the dead. It is sown in corruption. It is raised in incorruption. It is sown in dishonor. It is raised in glory. It is sown in weakness. It is raised in power. It is sown a natural body. Read physical. And it is raised a spiritual body. It is, there is a natural body and there is a spiritual body. And so it is written, the first man, Adam, became a living soul. The last became. Uh, the last Adam was a life-giving spirit. But not, the spirit, but not the spiritual first, but the natural. That's because we're in a larval stage. But afterwards, the spiritual. The first man was out of the earth, earthy. The second man was the Lord, uh, was the Lord from from heaven, so the earthly man was such as the earthly, such also the earthly one, and such is the uh, such the heavenly man, such also are the heavenly uh, heavenly one. And according as we bore the image of the earthly man, we shall also bear the image of the heavenly man. And I say this, brethren, that flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God, nor does corruption take a, inherit incorruption. Behold, I speak a mystery to you. We shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed in a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trump. For a trumpet shall sound, and the dead shall be raised incorruptible, and we shall be all be changed. For this corruptible must put on incorruption, and this mortal must put on immortality. But when this corruptible shall take on incorruption, 
shall put on incorruption, and when the mortal shall put on immortality, then will take place that word that is written, death is swallowed up in victory. O death, where is your sting? O grave, where is your victory? So, five little words in English. Thou shalt not surely die. The first and greatest lie from the father of lies. Demonstratively false through both logic and scripture. That those five little words have undermined the relationship of humanity with God from the very beginning. Creating a rift of sin so great that it required Jesus to become incarnate. To risk everything and to die on the stake of Calvary just to heal that wound. It, together with human vanity, created the myth of the immortal soul, which has led to untold misery and endless misunderstandings, including transmigration in Asian religions and the heaven-hell paradigm in traditional Christianity. It portrays God as some kind of evil grand inquisitor, taking delight in the screams of anguish for all eternity, of people who didn't quite live up to the... Um, standards. Uh, it paints a bleak future, a bleak future of mind-numbing, perpetual boredom, floating around on clouds and playing harp music. It makes human beings currency or trophies in some kind of battle between God and Satan as if he could win. It undermines the value of our lives, prompting us not to take appropriate health and safety measures. It makes killing another human being not quite so bad. It attempts to nullify Christ's resurrection because the soul, the real self, is already up in paradise. And, and, and to preempt any hope of real future life that we have. Uh, from this one lie precipitate numerous myths of misery, as I call them. Not the least of which is masquerades as the innocuous romantic notion of a soulmate. It conceals the true destiny of humanity to become the children of the living God. And it denies our incredible human potential and the truly, truly awesome future that God has in store for us as rulers of the entire universe. This is a lie. It is a major lie. I think of it as the greatest of lies, which happened to be the first lie as well. Let us reject this greatest of all lies and in Embrace the spiritual truth of the three end-time resurrections. Let us celebrate Christ's resurrection and his victory over death in the upcoming Feast of Trumpets, Monday. Let us rejoice over the marvelous, exciting future that our Father has planned for us as we, we emerge from this larval state into the spiritual creatures and can commune with God and transcend the physical limitations of the cosmos. Get a taste of that life at the upcoming Feast of, Ta of Tabernacles. But let us also be humbled as we observe the Feast of Atonement, Feast of Atonement, that our sins were so heinous that it took the incarnation and blood sacrifice of Christ to make us redeemable enough to stand in the presence of, of our Father who loves us as our children. Don't believe this lie. Don't drink Satan's Kool-Aid.